All right, I think we're going to get started. Um, so how was everybody's lunch? That's good? Yeah. Um, this, uh, my name is Paul, and I'm uh, really excited to spend about an hour with you to talk about um, my generation, millennials, um, and really uh, kind of give you uh, more insights around how to best engage them and lead them. So, um, yeah, before I begin, um, just to introduce a little bit about myself, um, I... Um, millennial, I grew up as a third culture kid, as a Korean, Canadian American, so definitely uh, God's put me in multiple different countries, and I just appreciate, I think, you know, it's my first actually event, anything to do with Foursquare, so it's been really cool for the last couple of days just to see uh, as a also an attendee and a participant, um, just really how, uh, how much diversity and international focus that you guys put, and, and just being like a family, so Really, uh, really, I uh, was very blessed by that. Um, but today, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about kind of how I started talking about this generation because uh, I really believe that as the largest living generation, millennials have so much impact. And when you think about the statistics of this world um, and how millennials have really um, have deserved a very negative uh, connotation in the world, I, I really believe that still that God is raising up this generation for his kingdom. Um, so for me personally, I run an organization where I specifically work with emerging adults and millennials on how to help them discover their God-given calling. So the word kara is actually a Hebrew word, which means to call. And it means that everyone has a calling. And how do I help them along that journey is it's been an amazing journey for me. Um, so a lot of times we talk about millennials, right? So today I want to talk about a couple different things. One, who are millennials? What are the challenges that millennials face today in the 21st century? Um, also, what is the relationship of millennials and the church? What does that look like? And as leaders, what are some specific strategy and practical ways in which we can engage and lead our millennials? So, and then I'll do a Q&A at the end. We'll open up and love to have any questions uh, answered. So let's talk about first who are millennials. So what are millennials like? What's the first word that comes into your mind? Yeah, ask questions. Yeah, that's good. They're different, yeah. That's right. They don't. They don't accept fluff. Yes, yes. That's good. They're entitled. Yes, of course. <laughs> so we have a lot of these words that come up, right? And it's really interesting. Uh, I want to show you a clip that actually kind of portrays millennials in a very interesting way. So check it out. I was at church one day, and the speaker that day was, um, was different. I just sat there with tears in my eyes, learning about this ministry that was revolutionizing the planet. I'm talking, of course, about Millennial International. The need is enormous. There are over 10 million millennials out there who have graduated with no work ethic, no job, no discernible skills at all, and they have expenses. Housing. Student loans. Credit card debt. 
And I didn't really realize the magnitude of the problem until I looked into the eyes of a millennial. And I saw that face with the, the dead, nothing's happening up here kind of thing. So I went out to the booth after the service and I talked with the guy and he really informed me about the devastation that's not being able to fund a millennial lifestyle. Core power yoga. Birch box for men. I looked over all the envelopes and my heart was really touched when I saw this one particular fellow that I, I just had to get more information about him. He was uh, Declan from Beverly Hills. I am an uh, aspiring photographer. I graduated college with an art degree, so obviously that puts me at a disadvantage. Volkswagen Jetta lease. Beard wax. Spotify premium. In his last letter, he wrote to me and said that his uh, weekend was, oh, how do you put it, um, totes lit fam. Literally have no idea what that means. Spin cycle membership. Pet food for my rescue dog. Uber's home from a pub crawl. A typical sponsorship program costs $29 a month. Millennial International is actually $2,900 a month. Yeah, it seems expensive at first, but when you see the need, it is so worth it. Trunk Club subscription. Essential oils. Annual pilgrimage to Bethel Church. It's the same as a traditional sponsorship program, uh, except instead of getting, say, a soccer ball for his birthday, he's getting an Audi. Am I capable of having a job? Sure, but I just feel like Maybe employment right now would just kind of be stifling my creativity. Through the sponsorship program, they actually set up a chance for us to meet each other in person. I brought him an apple pie that my wife had baked for him, but I totally forgot he's gluten-free, so he couldn't eat it. I mean, obviously I've seen Food Inc., so I don't eat the traditional meals like everybody else. For breakfast, I usually do like some kombucha juice. He really didn't have much energy that week, and it turns out you know, he was on a juice cleanse, and I wanted to respect that. My wish for Declan? <laughs> Uh, that he would realize his potential in life, that he would be better, achieve more. I've been getting blue ribbons and participation trophies my whole life. What do you expect? For me, if it wasn't for the program, I'd have to get a job. Or worse, start a GoFundMe. Many of these kids in traditional sponsorship programs are fighting diseases like malaria, pneumonia, tuberculosis. And these millennials have the same struggle, peanut allergies pollen sensitivity, lactose intolerance. Kids in Africa are getting typhoid. Declan was recently diagnosed with tennis elbow. I was originally paying vision and eye care insurance for him, but it turns out his eyeglasses weren't even real. To me, you can't put a price on friendship. Join me in sponsoring a millennial today and help us. Help us. Help us. Help us live the lives we portray on Instagram. It's, it's kind of a funny video. I mean, uh, I mean, that's it, not all millennials are not like that. I'm sure, but uh, it's it's interesting because we perception matters, right? And if you think about the millennials, we get such a bad rep, right? I mean, talks about how we have poor social skills, we're disloyal, entitled, all, all these lists of things that talk about this generation. But honestly, I think, you know, George Orwell actually best says it this way, that every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. Think about the boomers when they were the age of millennials today. 
that was very much the previous generation was talking about the boomers about like a lot of what we're talking about here right entitled you know they're not you know they're lazy and all that stuff so the reason why I think this is important is because um, as, as a millennial myself who had the opportunity to travel to not only America but the different parts of Asia and really interacting with millennials I try to understand what makes millennials unique right and it's hard to fit any generation in one box but I do believe there are certain things because of technology because we're living in a world that's a lot more flat right there are certain things that are more universal so uh, what I try I'm trying to communicate to you in one hour is not to put millennials in one box but to kind of give you more insights around by understanding certain things that this generation is different from other generations how can you not only better understand it but be able to leverage that to better understand and lead this generation. So one of the things that I think uh, when I talk about millennials that always comes up is this idea of a quarter life crisis. And for those who don't really know that concept, think about midlife crisis happening you know, in your 20s. And this is actually a real thing for a lot of millennials because 75% of millennials, 25 to 33 year olds have experienced a quarter life crisis. And for me personally, how I kind of been in my own personal journey was through my quarter life crisis of my own. So for me, I, I'm not a pastor. You know, I, I didn't, never went to seminary. I actually went, spent most of my time in corporate America, and my dream job was to work at a Fortune 50 company. So I, I graduated from college. I worked for Boeing. You know, my first full-time job, uh, I was making nearly a six-figure salary in my early 20s. I was, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. I was, you know, doing everything, right? Living in a nice, posh neighborhood in downtown Portland. And, but, you know, after about a couple months into my job, I, I started to feel this sense of emptiness and this restlessness in my heart. And I didn't understand why, right? And long story short, that's when um, I had this kind of this moment where I was just so feeling depressed. Then one night, I just praying out to God. And I'm praying out to God. I'm like, why am I so empty? God, why am I so restless and so disappointed? Because I thought getting into this dream job would give me the ultimate happiness and fulfillment, but it failed to deliver. So uh, I remember just praying that prayer, and God was saying, Paul, um, you've been asking the wrong questions all your life. And that's when it dawned on me that everything in my life was about what I wanted, what kind of school I wanted to go to, what kind of job I wanted to have, but never once did I ask God, like, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your calling for my life? And that was one of those kind of defining moments for me because it started a new journey, kind of like a fork in a road where I started to ask, God, what is your calling in my life? And I want to discover what that is, right? So four or five years into working at Boeing, I did a craziest thing a 28-year-old would do at the time and quit my, you know, really good job and that's when God kind of pushed me in a new direction where I started writing and started speaking and now I'm here right so for me this happened literally the last five years and it, the journey has been nothing short of amazing because when you start to live out God's calling on your life life becomes an adventure and it's just amazing how the journey he's, he's been through and then God's like, Paul, like you can't just 
you know, just write a book and finish there, but do this with your fellow generation who's struggling with the same thing, right? So that's kind of been my journey and why I'm here because I know that our generation struggles with this and, and many of you here who are in a leadership position to influence millennials, you have an incredible opportunity to steward your influence and your position to really speak truth and life into millennials and to being able to call out the very best. Uh, and that's going to be a huge game changer. So um, Harvard Business Review did another study that talks about how the quarter life crisis is a real thing. They identified the, the age in which millennials feel the greatest amount of stress in life is between late, tw late 20s and early 30s. In fact, the average age for the onset of depression has dropped from the late 40s, early 50s to now 20s, early 20s. And this is a real thing because if you know a lot of millennials and even the Gen Z, right, mental health is a real issue. And, and many of them are just struggling. They're, they're lost and they don't know what to do with that, right? So there's reasons why we're seeing a generation that is so anxious and depressed, but one in particular I think is this epidemic that I would call the OCD, obsessive comparison disorder, right? And this is really prevalent in, in our society because we are spending so much time on, on our smartphones, right? And specifically, you know, Instagram, as many of you guys perhaps are on it, uh, is w ranked the worst social media app for causing young people to feel depressed. So think about a generation who is basing their whole identity and their security on what they see on a screen. And you have your friends, your peers who are doing all these amazing things, right? Traveling the world, you know, getting promotions, doing all that stuff. And you're seeing their highlight reel and you're comparing your own behind the scenes with somebody else's highlight reel. Not to say that's bad to, s to see and like all these people who are doing great things, but that is not perhaps what every day looks like for all of us, if we're very honest, right? Most of our days are just going through one ordinary thing to another, but we have this false expectation that w the world, they're, they're doing something amazing and I'm feeling left out. And that's creating so much anxiety because millennials, they want to fit in. They want to be liked and affirmed, and social media has been one of the vehicles to perpetuate that. So one, one uh, key thing that you wouldn't really want to know when it comes to understanding millennials is you have to think about this whole idea of an emerging adulthood. Now, we know what adolescents look like, right? And, and in youth groups, we talk a lot about that. But there is actually a new phrase that's called emerging adulthood, which is a new life stage. And the reason why this started is because to be an adult today looks very different when you're an adult in the 1960s, right? Uh, bachelor degree is like just a high school degree. Like, doesn't make any difference, honestly. Like, that's why so many people are doing uh, graduate work, right? Masters and PhD, because that's a way to differentiate yourself to get a job, right? Uh, marriage um, now, you know, in 2019, actually, is almost early 30s was when you're actually getting married. So, what happens is we have an entire generation compared to the 1960s, where you became an adult right after in your early 20s because most likely you didn't go to college. You, you got married earlier. You were financially indep independent. So those are traditional markers of adulthood. 
But today, now, those things are not happening. Therefore, you have a, about a gap of 10 years where any emerging adult would be spending the time mostly on themselves, right? And because they have so much time and also so much transition, they call it like an in-between time. They don't completely feel like an adult. At the same time, you don't completely feel like an adolescent. So you're feeling stuck. And a lot of times, because it's a such a tr transition um, um, time and, and not many people know how to steward that, many of them also leave church. 60% of millennials who've been raised in a church will drop out by the time that they're, they're 30, right? So it's a real thing to understand. And there's a couple of different characteristics of an emerging adulthood as a life stage because I think millennials and the whole millennial uh, thing we talk about, like the millennial problem, it's not a generational thing. I think it's a life stage thing. For example, identity exploration. Like anybody in their you know, young adulthood, emerging adulthood, they're asking questions. Who am I? Right? They're trying to figure themselves out. What are my values? What are my beliefs? So this is a time where constantly they're asking questions about themselves. Not only that, it's a time of instability. About a third of, of, of emerging adults actually move to a new city every year. So if you think about the impact and implication of that, it's incredible because think about how communities are formed, how you build relationships. So if you're, if you're constantly moving, you're always going to be in this place of influx. You're instable. Um, it's also time of self-focus, which is different from being selfish, right? So because you have that so much time for yourself, a lot of people are in, in this life stage are thinking, how do I advance my education, my career, my relationships? It's a time where they can actually focus on yourself. Instead of, you know, in, in you know, a few decades ago, they were getting a lot uh, married earlier. Therefore, you, you, you have a wife or a husband and there's so much more responsibility. You just don't have as much time for yourself. I talked about the feeling in between and optimistic about possibilities. Again, this is really important because... Young people are generally optimistic. They think about possibilities more than the constraints. So uh, most millennials, if you ask them, although they are making 20% less than boomers were when they were you know, millennials' age, they're still optimistic about their life. Right? So if you really want to understand, millennials, instead of just labeling uh, millennials uh, with all the different things, it's important to understand that it's not just a generational thing. It's a life stage issue. What's also interesting is I believe millennials today are living in what's called a digital Babylon. And what's the reason why it's called digital Babylon is if you think about the Jewish people before the Babylonian exile, right, their, their religion permeated the culture, right? But once they were exiled, they had to adapt to the different foreign practices of the culture that they're living in. In the same way today, millennials are growing up in a post-Christian culture. So all the programs, all the things in which the church has, has tried to use in the past, it's in a completely different context, and it's not working. So it's possible, which it's my argument, is that a lot of leaders today in the church are preparing a generation you know, for a world that no longer exists. We're, we're raising up disciples of Jerusalem when we should be raising up disciples of Babylon. So it, it changes whole the whole paradigm because 
this is the world that we're living in, and it's going to get even worse for Generation Z. So millennials, by the way, are 19, early 1980s to about 2000 or 1998. And the Gen Z starts from the 1998 to 2000 to 2000, about 18, 19, so around, around today. So we're, we're seeing um, this becoming a lot more um, just prevalent in our whole society. And the reason why it's digital, because, because the world we live in for millennials and Gen Z, it's governed by the Internet, right? So that's a real issue. And as a result of that, a couple things we see with, with church is the number of Americans ages 18 to 29 who have no religious affiliation has nearly quadrupled in the last 30 years. So again, this is particular to America, um, not necessarily in other parts of the world, especially in the South, it's growing, but in America, this is what we're seeing, which they created a new word, the nuns. It's called the nuns. There's a new category. And the nuns have been rising significantly. And this is by the different um, it's just age cohorts. You will see in the pink, those who are s over 65, you have about 21% who are nuns. And then you're on the top, you see um, Gen Z and millennials and uh, uh, millennials and uh, the late Xers, right? And that's hovering around 44%, 43% are nuns today in, in America, which is just a really kind of realistic look of where we are right now as a nation. So why, why is this happening? Why are millennials leaving Christianity? You know, wh what are some of the reasons why? Well, there's a lot, but I'm just going to talk about three, right? So first, there is a crisis within the home, right? So as I talk about millennials, I, I talk with a lot of parents who have millennials as their kids. And, you know, honestly, many of them who come to me very honestly tell me like they they struggle with this guilt that they have because of certain mistakes they've made in their life they they, they feel like they've let their children down um, and because of certain decisions that they've made they they feel very regretful and part of what they see in their children and some of the things they're struggling is perhaps a result of their actions so there's this incredible amount of guilt that that they experience. And um, how many people here uh, have kids who are millennials? Yeah, and uh, there's, there's quite a few, right? And you do feel that because you feel like, wow, like, what, what did I do wrong, right? And the thing is, unfortunately, um, if you think about the Christian household versus a secular household, the major um, the statistics around, you know, divorce, uh, dysfunction, they're pretty much the same, right? So that's where we really can do something to move the needle on helping build a Christ-centered, you know, f home. And that's where the emotionally healthy spirituality, right? Yesterday, Peter Scazzaro did a fantastic job talking about that. And the reason why I think that is important is because not only you're going to be more emotionally healthy yourself, but you're, you're able to connect with different generations. You're going to connect with different people, especially millennials. The second aspect is culture because we have a generation that's being discipled more by the culture than the word of God. 4% of millennials hold a biblical worldview. 
Barna did a study around that, and they asked the mul multiple questions, about 20, 30 questions. And only 4% of millennials say they have a biblical worldview, right? So again, this is incredibly important in light of what's going around in culture because to be a Christian, um, you know, actually it's, it's a more of a negative thing, right? And that's why people aren't really saying that to the world and um, that's a real issue. And the third is the church. And unfortunately, that is one of the reasons why because the church has been commonly more been known for for what it stands against rather than what it, the church stands for, right? And, and because of that, a lot of millennials um, who are still spiritually hungry, they're not going to the institutional church, right? And the reason why I say this is because there's a new form of church called CrossFit, right? <laughs> this is real because if you think about CrossFit, um, they do this, they d intentionally design creating communities where you're going in and you're connecting with different people and they include different like, you know, spiritual or new age practices because every person, they have this hole in their heart, right, which only God can fill and they're looking for the wrong place but they do intentionally do that where they adopt a lot of the kind of the church's practice to create this community and, and many of them have done a great job which has created this huge industry for CrossFit. And I, I believe that's where the church should be and where the, what the church should look like is to be a place where millennials can come and feel vulnerable, uh, be vulnerable, and, and create a safe space for that. But that's, unfortunately, many churches are, aren't working. Therefore, it's kind of created this entire other industry with that. So those are three, I think, reasons why uh, that's happening in our world today. And the word that millennials attach most to Christianity was extreme and it's irrelevant. But we all know that Christianity is the most relevant thing. But again, the perception that's in the world today is that's how millennials view Christianity. So I'm not here to talk about just negative things, right? I'm, talk about, I'm here to talk about how can we do and take a proactive stance to make a change. Because all of you guys are leaders here. So I want to provide several different um, key kind of strategies that's more practical around how to do that. There has to be a change in leadership, right? So if everything rises and falls on leadership, we need to be intentional in asking ourselves, are we leaders that people want to follow? Are we a servant leader? And there are some major changes that we're seeing on how leadership looks like. Traditionally in the past, it was all about the money, the paycheck. But actually now, millennials are wanting purpose. They, they want to know the why. The past, it was all about just satisfaction, right? But now it's all about development. It's about growth. I want to be challenged. I want to grow. I don't, just, I don't just want a boss. I want actually a coach who can guide me along, help me to become the person God has called me to be. Instead of just one or twice of, you know, annual reviews, uh, it's going to be about ongoing feedback, ongoing conversations. Instead of weaknesses, let's focus on strengths. And then just focusing on job, but now it's about the whole life integration. So I want to talk about a couple of those key points today. The first one is purpose before paycheck. Uh, I mean, this is not to say that millennials don't want 
don't need money. I mean, money is very important. Anybody needs money. But that's not the primary motivator to, to why they work for any company, right? There's a study that shows that 65% of millennials would rather choose a job that pays less than $40,000, but they truly believe in the mission and the purpose of the organization than to choose a company that pays them more than $100,000 that is completely boring to them, right? So it tells a lot about how this generation is wired for purpose and as leaders, we need to tap into this and ask the question of why more than the what and how. So uh, here's, here's a short clip that talks about the importance of why. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So <laughs> we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid, I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved like me
That I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. We have a generation that doesn't know their why. They, they're, they're asking, right? They're looking for help, but they're confused. So as leaders, I think it's important to understand our personal why that God's given us. We need to, uh, uh, we have to align that to the organizational why, to the church, and, and really to communicate as leaders, what is your why, right? And, and that starts with really just loving them. On a, first of all, that mindset has to be there. And then asking questions. How did God design that person? Right, and, and for me, uh, the framework that I that I use is, is this idea of a sweet spot. Right, um, anybody who plays uh, racket sports, right, tennis or um, golf, you know this idea of a sweet spot. Right, you hit your tennis racket to the tennis ball, and that that's the maximum uh, point of impact. And as I was playing tennis one day, I was just having this insight. I'm like, wow, like God, when you created us, you created us to live in our sweet spot. But so many people aren't living in their sweet spot. And that's a crisis, right? So as leaders, think about even maybe yourself. In the place that God's called you, are you operating at the intersection of your personality, which is your God-given wiring, your gifts, your spiritual gifts, the talents God has deposited into you, and the passions, the affinity that you have, the, you know, um, the, 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 the thing that in which you see in this world Right, which causes you to maybe uh, create anger or disappointment or something where you're like, I have to do something to change that, right? And maybe your life experiences as well. So everybody has a unique defining moments. Why did that happen, right? It all happened for a reason. A and part of what I try to do is to excavate what are some of the things that these people have that I'm coaching and I'm speaking to that makes them unique because everybody has a unique design. Like everybody has a unique fingerprint. Everybody has a unique design. And as a church, as leaders, what we need to do is help to identify what those are for millennials because this is by far one of the first and the most questions that I always hear. It's like, I don't know my purpose. I don't know my calling. I want to know my design. I don't know what that is. So being able to walk them through this process is probably the single best gift that you can give them because it's going to help them set up for success in the decades to come, right? Um, Gallup did another study where it showed 71% of millennials are not engaged at work, making it the least engaged generation. The turnover costs the U.S. economy $30.5 billion annually. This is, this is a real thing, right? I mean... I, for, for myself, I experienced it working at Boeing. Part of it was just going through the motions, not knowing why am I here. How are my, how are my talents and, and passions utilized in my workplace? 71% of them are saying that's not happening for them, right? So this is a great opportunity as leaders because we have 
one of the greatest purpose ever as a church, right? To, to glorify God, to make and, and to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, right? And, and to be able to communicate that why is one of the best ways to do that. And um, I think f for that to happen, though, there has to be uh, a myth that needs to be demystified because it's really um, causing so much trouble. And it's this whole sacred, secular dichotomy that exists within the church. What I mean by this is, you know, oftentimes people think they're spiritual work and they're secular work, right? And the spiritual work is the things that's perhaps related with the church, right? When you go to small group and you go to Bible studies, you, you, you go to church and you have all these things that you participate in, um, which are very important things. But if you think about the amount of time that any average person would spend doing church-related work, maybe at most 10%, right? So that means 90% of time you're doing non-church secular work, right? Whether you're spending time working, you know, you know, doing errands, you know, spending time with family, whatever that is. That, I think, is a really uh, big problem as we think about it in that way. Um, if you think about the Old Testament, try to look up the word spiritual, it doesn't exist. The reason why is because in the Hebrew worldview, everything was spiritual. They didn't divide spiritual versus secular. Everything in the Hebrew worldview was spiritual. So if you think about um, this in the context of uh, millennials, a lot of millennials, they have good intentions. They want to help and want to glorify God. But the idea and the message that I see a lot of pastors are giving is you have to volunteer. You have to do all these work related with the church. And if not, then they feel a sense of guilt because they, they know they want to do God's work. But if we just consider people who are doing God's work as those who are just pastors or full-time missionaries or other things, then many of 95% of millennials who are working in the workforce as an accountant, engineer, hairstylist, plumber, whatever that is, they're going to feel like I'm not doing as holy or, you know, sacred, sacred work. Therefore, I have to do something more, serve more, do all these things. I say this because as leaders, I think it's important that we know in the church that the body of Christ is not just made up of pastors. We have people from all different kind of gifts, different kind of roles that they play. So being able to recognize that and empower the millennials is saying, hey, God has called you where you, God, God has called you to the place where you're working, whether it's the field of government or education, business, and how can I help you be salt and light there, right? So that's the part where it, it feels scary, right? Because that perhaps may mean less time working on church activities, but overall, we are actually advancing the kingdom more instead of focusing on just building you know, my own local church, right? So that's a huge mindset to really think about. And this is another uh, cover story from Christianity Today. And they had this thing for 33 under 33, which is um, 33 people who are the age of, under the age of 33, who are shaping the next generation of our faith, right? If you think about it, out of all these people, how many people are pastors, Less than 5%. Most people here actually are, some are YouTubers, right? Some are in the government, 
some are authors, some are in, uh, entrepreneurs, right? Rappers. Yeah, you have a you have multiple vi- variety of people who are doing God's work, but not necessarily I- I- in the church space, right? And as millennials, I think it's really important for the church to operate in a way to recognize the giftings and recognize the the place and calling that God has called these people, and for them to feel empowered that wow, like my church actually is helping me become the person God has called me to be, right? So let me give you an example of a guy named uh, Nathan. He um, actually sees his entire work in engineering as a way to glorify God. Check it out. This is my father. Throughout my life, I've watched him work in his community through local politics. As an engineer, he used his problem-solving skills for the good of our community and publicly shared his trust in God through his words and his actions. There was never a distinction between his work and his faith. It wasn't his church life and the rest of his life. It was just life. Engineering teaches me how to look at problems analytically, stepping back from emotional decision-making. Despite the efficiency of this analysis, however, the moral basis of those decisions can be lacking. When I couple engineering with God's word, I hope I can begin to make decisions that are both technically and morally sound. A lot of tech companies today only care about the bottom line. When looking for a job, I wanted to work somewhere that valued people, both the consumer and the employee. I was drawn to a company that develops loan software. They provide loans that are carefully designed to help people, providing credit options to those in need, and ultimately building up the underprivileged. I've learned that the gospel teaches that work is good, so it is my responsibility to use my skills to take care of and cultivate the world. Like my father, I want to be a steward, not just a consumer. That means doing work for people, not just for a paycheck. Engineers are makers, and I want to be a difference maker. So someone like Nathan, uh, I think, really epitomizes what we want to see with the next generation. Somebody who sees their work and understands their role as a steward. I'm like, engineering is what God has put in my heart, and I want to advance God's kingdom through the field of engineering, right? And I think a lot of millennials who are searching and seeking what that is, they don't know what that is yet. It's a process, of course, but I think as leaders, what we can do is enable them understand what that looks like so um, honestly I, when I think about millennials we don't have a millennial problem we have a voc- discipleship problem right and a key part of it is vocational discipleship has to be a part of how we operate as a church it has to be in the part of the DNA because the facts are clear that millennials 70% of them say is that career is central to their identity it, it is a true thing and we think about um, uh, the last one here, nearly two-thirds of church adults say it's been at least three years or more since they heard church teachings on work and career. It's a real hunger and a question, but it's not being answered in the church. Therefore, again, they're calling it irrelevant because I have questions, I have these desires and, and, and all these things, but the church is unfortunately not talking about it. So here's a, another great opportunity 
Um, if you're still not convinced, uh, I'll share a few more statistics here that says young adults who have remained active are three times more likely than dropouts to say that my church taught me how my gifts and passions are part of God's calling in my life, right? Millennials who stay connected to a local church are four times more likely to say that my church teaches me how the Bible relates to my career. Again, if you really want to reach engaged millennials, you need to talk about how does my faith relate to my work? Because, it again, again, it is a real question. If not, they just not only f- feel incapable of knowing what, what it means to be a Christian, but, again, they would feel a lot more the church is irrelevant, right? So what can you do about it? Here's some actual practical suggestions that I just want to share with you. Maybe you can take a picture of this, but um, there's a lot of things you can do, and it works differently for different churches. Um, but the key is think about within your own congregation, right? There are people who are, there's so many variety of people who are in the workplace. How can you identify millennials who, let's say, have a, a passion in the field of education or government or business, identify those who are in boomer generation or Xers, right? And they can be paired and start having these mentoring relationships, right? That's a really good way to leverage that. Um, you could also offer different services like vocational counseling, coaching, different assessments, um, internship opportunities. Those are all things that have worked with different churches, but you have to learn what is the DNA, what is the culture of our church, how can we identify this is a real issue and, and provide some support there. The second um, strategy that I would r- really recommend is idea of development over satisfaction. Here's an interesting question that was asked. What is the most important thing you look for when applying for a job? Now, you see uh, the boomers in blue and Xers in green and millennials in, in orange, right? And you see the different type of uh, things, which are very similar, but the highest variation that you see with millennials versus the other generations is the top one, opportunity to learn and grow. By far, is the most Im- one of the most important values and things in which a millennial looks at when they're looking for a job. So it's not just in just just to talk about the why, which is important, but to actually empower millennials by providing them challenging roles and challenging responsibility so that they can grow into the fullness of their calling. And that's a very simple conversation where you could actually just, if you have anybody uh, who is a millennial uh, as a children or part of your staff, is to ask them, um, you know, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Right? What, what does that look like for you? and to understand where they want to be, and then to identify what are some things that they want to grow in and learn and and, and be challenged with so that they could be that person and and to really aspire for that. So it starts with that one simple conversation. There's a few organizations that are doing this really well, um, Zappos and DreamWorks. So Zappos, they do provide this training and mentorship program for any employees who have the opportunity to become a senior leader within five to seven years. So they uh, provide um, pay bumps based on different type of skill sets they acquire. So that's one way they do it. DreamWorks, they have another strategy where it's all about finding the great movie idea, right? So they have workshops where they host, um, um, you know, workshops to help learn how to make successful pitches, 
uh, on movies and ideas like that. So again, uh, different ways that companies can organize organizations can employ. The third um, aspect is constant feedback over annual reviews. The reason why this generation is hungry for feedback is because of how we grew up. I mean, a lot of millennials, uh, gaming was a big, big part of this generation. And even, the, you know, Generation Z is even more prevalent. But if you think about any games that you played, there's immediate feedback. There's a, e there's a constant feedback loop. Whatever character you're in, you get feedback, right? So that's been conditioned into the mindset of many millennials today, where whatever they do, they want to know, am I doing a good job? Am I, am I doing well? Am I doing poorly? They want that feedback from the leader. So as leaders, you might be thinking, why are they asking so many questions? Why don't you just, just do your job, right? But it doesn't work that way because millennials, again, constant feedback has been part of their life for many, many years. Therefore, they want to know, what can I do to improve? What can I do to become better at that, right? So one, one idea that I want to offer you as leaders is this idea of a feed forward, not feedback. Feedback is all about what? The past. So you talk about the past and say, you know, remember when you did, did this and this and that and all that, and you're providing feedback. But imagine, think about just the last time when somebody asked you, hey, can I give you feedback? What's your first response emotionally? It's like, how many of you are like, yes, I want feedback. I love feedback. No, unfortunately, that's not. Most people are like, okay, what did I do wrong, right? That's why feedback, uh, as important as it is, has some limitations. Because, again, like uh, many people feel offended, right? This idea of feed forward is about future. It's about possibilities. So instead of focusing on the past, you would ask, hey, where do you want to grow in? And like, I want to be a better listener. Then instead of saying, in the past, you didn't listen to all these things, instead of going that approach, why, why not say, here are some things you could consider in the future? So instead of focusing on the past, you're focusing on the future and, and the possibilities. Not to say you, you just want to you know, supersede, feed forward with feedback, but at the various right time and context, feed forward could be a powerful tool as a leader to really engage millennials. Um, lastly, I just want to share with you guys um, a, a story that um, I, I really believe um, has huge implications for the next generations. But uh, this idea is to lead out of belief instead of to lead out of relief. And what I mean by this is leading out of relief is where a leader who, let's say, is leading um, someone who's in their 20s, um, they don't have a lot of experience, and you're feeling frustrated, and you're, like, venting. Right, because like this person doesn't have the work ethic, this person doesn't have the attitude. That's leading out of relief, which happens a lot. But leading out of belief is the idea where you say we have a certain standard of excellence, and instead of just saying, "Hey, do this," you, what you're doing is you're calling out the very best in that person and saying, "I actually believe that you can do this." That's leading out of belief. A story is told of the Thomas Edison, as we all know, is one of the greatest inventors of America. 
um, young Tom Edison, he uh, came to home from school one day, and he, he gave a note to his mom. His, his mom's like, what is this note? And Tom Edison says, uh, my teacher asked me to give this note to you, mom. So the mom looks at the note, and the, the moment she reads it, immediately she breaks out of tears. So uh, Thomas Edison, he was like nine years old. He was like worried, like what is happening, right? So um, he asked, what, what does the note say, mom? So the mom says, the note says that your son is a genius. And we don't have the teachers to instruct him. So you have to instruct yourself at home. So the teacher, um, you know, gave that note. And the mom, she let, you know, Thomas Edison kind of do his own thing. Let him invent things, roam around, explore things, right? Which is kind of worked because he became one of the greatest inventors of all time. But years later, after um, his mother passed, um, Thomas Edison was rummaging through his mother's belonging and he found a note tucked away in a book. And when he read it, he broke out of tears because the note didn't say that at all. It said that your son is mentally ill. And we don't have the instructors to instruct him. So you have to instruct yourself at home. But here was a mom who saw something different. It's different than any, but what anybody saw. She saw the potential of Thomas Edison and believed in him. And as a result of that, we know what happened. All of you guys know at least dozens of millennials. Maybe children, maybe part of your staff. The greatest responsibility for us as leaders is to believe in the millennial that you're leading and to call out the best of what you see in that person. The truth is our generation is a fatherless generation. We don't have fathers who speak love and truth into our generation. But as a leader, you can be that person. It starts with love. It starts with by believing in your millennial, and that will make a big difference. So before um, I, I turn it on to uh, Q&A, I just want to share with you uh, a couple of different things. Um, I wish I had more time to, to talk about all the different things, but if you want to know more um, about how to really engage your, your uh, millennials on the context calling, there is actually uh, my book available at the bookstore here. Um, it's full of practical exercises. So at the end of each chapter, there's activities, the whole framework about the sweet spot. That's where I go through learning about your gifts, your passions, your life experiences. One of the things you could do is to go through the exercises with your millennials, right? A and to really help them and guide them through this journey of finding what their calling is. Because again, that is a deep hunger they have there's another resource, which is an online course that I've created, which is a 10-week online course that goes a lot more in depth uh, than the book. Um, so you can check it out at findingyourcalling.co if, if that's uh, something that you're interested in. Uh, if you want to connect with me, I'd love to uh, just connect with you on social media. Or if you want the slides for this presentation, feel free to email me here. Um, and then I'd love to send you the slides um, with, uh, with uh, presentation and all that. So. Love to just open it up for uh, Q&A. So any questions based on what I share with you, maybe um, if you want to share something, you have a problem or anything, I'd love to share with it. So any questions?
Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Did you get a question? Yeah. Sorry? Mm. Do you have, uh, I mean, it's a broad question. <laughs> Any things that uh, you particular um, are curious about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a big part of it is, uh, again, it starts with leadership, right? And I think a one of the first steps you can take is to bring this up to the leadership team and to identify this is an issue and what are we going to do about it, right? Because if we don't, we don't have the resources, if we don't have the, the budget to do things, it, it just becomes a real challenge, right? And we, we know where we put, we put our money in, that's where what, what our priorities are, right? So I think that's where I would bring up that conversation and talk about the importance and the need for that. Because again, if you have no next generation with the church, what's going to happen in the, next, you know, f in the future, right? Uh, and another way, I think, um, to really think about engaging that uh, is to... I think we re rethink how uh, churches are organized. So it's a more bigger level because I think how churches are formed is through life stages, right? You have, you know, children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry, it goes up. But again, it's by its own age range. But I think the best way is perhaps not by a life stage, but what if the whole church is organized around your vocation? Because I think... What happens is that then you create intergenerational communities. And, you know, millennial is just one generation. We're not, so I'm not saying that millennials are the greatest generation. I mean, every generation God uses. But there's so much value when you have multiple generations learning from each other. And that's what I'm seeing that's really lacking you know, in the church, right? So really finding ways, because millennials, you know, it's a it's an interesting thing is you ask millennials and say do you have a mentor, many of them say no, and you say you want a mentor, everybody says yes. What's happening uh, is first of all lack of exposure, but also in the church I think it could be uh, a great vehicle to connect them by their vocation. So there is a commonality and there is mentorship coaching that happens as a result of that. So it can't it can't just be something that you force. I mean you have to set the culture. But it always starts with leadership. Okay. Other questions? Yes, please. Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah, um, it's going to go two ways for sure uh, with any relationship. Um, but I think ultimately the mentee, the millennial, has to take the initiative to sustain it. Um, however, at the church level, what we can do is to set certain guidelines, certain parameters, and to not say, hey, here's a program and just do it, but it has to be something that's continually brought up so that it's part of a KPI, a key performance indicator. So it's some of the things that you've, you would measure. How well are we doing this? And you would have to measure that quantitatively so that if it's working, if it's not, how is it happening? And if, if it's something that you're going to measure, you're going to put emphasis and focus on it. And therefore, people are going to be more willing to do it. If not, it just becomes another flavor of the month, right? It just becomes another thing to do. But it has to be connected to the mission of why we're doing this. That, again, has to be really clearly communicated. Yeah, I mean, I would just say you're, you're right. I mean, um, what you're doing is you're, you're creating, you're discipling countercultural millennials who are constantly being uh, forced to believe in things that is not biblical, right? And, and it's the pressure is real because if you're a millennial and you're, you have most of your friends who are non-Christian, right, um, for you to be able to speak out your, your beliefs uh, in a very – confident way it, it's it costs you a lot of things right but as a church what we're trying to do is uh, not just compromise and just go with the status quo what we're trying to do is to create uh, these change agents of the culture right so yeah for sure yeah yeah absolutely And I think that's really why it's so important for this generation to think about uh, power of role models. Because, again, um, we on social media, you see all these people. And, and it's, we're a generation that's been marketed so much that it's so easy to know, is it real or is it fake, right? Um, so I think a big part of it is when you do discipleship, um, it's not just a program. It's not just meet once, uh, you know, six weeks, talk about these issues. But you're, you're, it's a whole life le uh, discipleship, right? And when millennials see that, wow, like this, this person who's mentoring me and discipling me is actually living it out, you're actually offering an example, a glimpse of what following you know, uh, someone like, like Jesus is, right? So I think being able to 
uh, provide that platform, I think, in a church setting, it's incredibly important. Yes, in the back. For sure. I think a big part of it is uh, instead of trying to do it by yourself, I mean, obviously that's hard, but I think raising up lay leaders I think is important who have a heart for this generation and providing tools and actually empowering them to make decisions around how to meet, what events to do. Um, I mean, millennials, we, we don't want to be talked to, right? We want we want to actually actually be part of making a difference. That's the kind of the key slogan, right, for millennials is, I want to make a difference. So that's a great way to empower them to make a difference. Um, instead of the church leaders always, let's say, who are always getting, who are paid, always coming with a, the idea is asking them, like, hey, if you were going to do this and lead this, how would you do it? How would you, do, you would do it? And providing the resources, perhaps, as a way that they're going to feel a lot more empowered, meaning that wanna, they want to do something to make a difference because they know that a lot of it's not working. Um, so that is another thing. Another thing, too, is um, it's the whole idea of commitment, right? And millennials like the idea of community, but the process of community is challenging uh, because it requires consistency, which is this generation is not really that good at because we're always unstable. I've talked about that in emerging adults. We're constantly moving. So to be committed to something at the expense of something else is challenging, right? But that, again, is, is part of growth and part of this, uh, this building these disciplines that needs to happen. So, yeah. You had someone else here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's really important about community is because we're living in a content-saturated world, right? Uh, it used to be like going to find the best preacher, right? But you can find that all on social media and YouTube. You could listen to pretty much, you know, all the best preachers out there. So you're not going to church necessarily because of the preaching, but it's about the community. And I think a big part of it is, um, first of all, you just have to... I think part of the reason why there's such a hesitancy is we have a uh, 
we have this expectation of that we, we will have to find a perfect community, which doesn't exist. But again, you know, we're a generation that has, has to be perfect, right? And whatever we put, there's filters, there are things that help us be perfect. But um, in real life, it's not perfect. Therefore, it's hard to commit to something. Therefore, you, you just kind of go around and then you feel burned out or feel like I'm not really truly plugged in. So part of that is very important for us to recognize that you have to find, obviously, um, align with your theology and all that stuff. But if you're in it, you have to experience the whole thing uh, instead of trying to find that perfect community where there's always be, you know, uh, amazing things that happen, which always doesn't happen, as we all know, right? How can we, meaning the church, answer that? Well, uh, you know, I, I think a big part of that is um, helping bi build emotionally healthy people is the key. Because I cannot give what I don't have. So if I, a lot of the things we see uh, with, you know, broken households, broken families is it's a generational thing that happens with the father who never felt that deep love um, and that continues to go down to generation and generation. So where do we start as a church is help uh, broken people to understand where is this brokenness coming from? How do we heal them? How do we help them become emotionally mature? Because that's going to help that person, right? And then also the generations after that, they're going to be able to grow and, and really become the best person God has called them to be. But it has to start with building that emotionally healthy people. I think it's important. Another ar area or how you could do that, I think, is by, um, again, like creating opportunities where you can pair different generations together as a church, um, pro providing forums for that or multiple ways in which you could create intergenerational community. Um, you may not be the biological father or mother, but you still could build these relationships and you could start speaking truth and life into the millennial. And that's what's missing, right? And that's what needs to happen, in my opinion. In terms of in terms of engaging millennials, I would I would just uh, be uh, sensitive to who I'm talking to, right? So if I'm a pastor, you, you're thinking about who who am I really speaking to, right? And oftentimes, you may not be the millennial; it's not the first person you think about, right? But I think being able to understand. The, the diversity that exists and also that millennials are a key part of that, I think it's first of all, it's important to recognize in your mind. But second of all, I think it's uh, perhaps having more of a, what do you call it, like a kind of a more intimate conversation with a group of millennials. And as, as a pastor, you want to understand what are their needs, what are their challenges. Because what I'm sharing with you is just kind of a, 
a slice of that. But different regions, different cultures, they have different needs. So being able to have these interactions on a more personal level, nothing beats that, having personal in-person in conversations. And by having that, then you get to understand, oh, wow, like we're really lacking in this area or we're, they're really wanting this and we're not providing that. So I think the easiest, most practical way is to start there. <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. What city? What city are you? Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Love to talk to you more about it, but I think t time time is up, but happy to talk to you more, but really appreciate you guys and really uh hoping the best. So, thank you very much.